This is a CJSR podcast. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Campus and community. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. Radio. Radio and and podcast. (laughs) I would describe my siblings as my best friend. Um... He's naughty, but he's cute. She's very strong and independent. I think it comes from being um, the firstborn. My sister is my twin that was born four years too early. It doesn't matter how long we haven't seen each other or have spoken. When we do, it's always like where we've left off. One sentence. Yeah. Like... Um. Are you sure? Wait, I do. No, it's one sentence. Oh, okay. Um. Hey, Mishma. Hey, Sherry. What's the cheese miss? This is What's the Cheesemus, a podcast about Philippinex identity in Edmonton. My name is Mishma Mukith, and the cheesemis I want to dive into today is exploring siblinghood. I myself have two siblings and our relationship has had a fair share of big ups and downs. When we lost a parent a few years ago, I often struggled with occupying the role of a big sister and sometimes as a caregiver. In today's episode, I sit down with our guest, Giselle General, as she shares her insights on the event that transformed her own sibling relationship. You'll also hear from other guests who share what it's like to have a sibling and what it's like to be one. Thank you so much, Giselle, for sitting down with us. Um, you wrote into the What's the Chismis team um, wanting to be interviewed. And as I kind of dug into getting to know you a little bit more, you know, I found a lot of things, particularly that you are um, a fantastic writer, first of all, but also that you are an avid member in the community. So I would love to kind of hear about, um, you know, the different roles um, and hats that you wear. Absolutely. Um I jokingly refer myself as volunteer coordinator by day, serial volunteer at night. Um, <laughs> volunteering and community service is my passion. And uh, my day job is um, helping in a pro bono legal clinic. So a charitable law firm that helps people who cannot afford lawyers. And I'm the volunteer coordinator there. And Giselle, you have an incredible story. For those who might not be familiar, can you talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, life in the Philippines and then traveling from your home country to a new country by yourself? Absolutely. So uh, a a very important uh, background that uh, we need to I'd like to share is that, unfortunately, in um, October 1999, um, on my on our way home from Baguio City, the nearby city, into our mining village where we were living, my family um, and a lot of bunch of other people got into a really bad um, accident. Our vehicle, uh, uh, which is called a jeepney, 
those uh, mini uh, transportation vehicles in the Philippines. We fell down the mountain and many people died, including my parents and sister. At that time, one of my uh, titas, one of my aunts, was um, on her way to Canada. And at some point, it was decided that when there is a good opportunity to do so, that uh, my brother and I will be brought over to Canada. I was sponsored uh, by my aunt. It was a very bittersweet uh, moment because it's expensive to sponsor people. So my brother was left behind. So I was brought over first. Losing, you know, both your parents and a sibling and essentially your immediate family. um, How did this event change your relationship with your brother if it had at all? So it is definitely a topsy-turvy time for both my brother and myself. Um, It was really tragic. I I have particular memories of uh, the accident, or I guess while we were recovering um, from the accident, um, when we were both admitted at Baguio General Hospital. We were admitted in the ICU, I was told. And my Lola said, like, you were 50-50 at the time. And I'm like, what do you mean 50-50? But... As it turns out, they meant that we were, you know, halfway between life and death because the injuries was just so bad. But we were in different uh, wings of the hospital. And I remember my brother, he was the first person who told me that our parents had passed away. He was he was a four-year-old child and I was eight. And I don't think he even completely understood the words that he said. But he said in Tagalog, you know, wala na sina mama at papa. So he's like, Mama and Papa are gone. I think he just like heard that from the elders, and he just passed it on to me. And then I did that. The gravity of that statement didn't hit me until a few weeks after. When we were recovering, my brother and I didn't live together. Um, my brother is by the city because his injuries are more serious, and I w- went back living into the village with my grandmother. Um, and that uh, was a you know it was an uncomfortable painful um, adjustment for for all of us um yeah you know like we just came out of the hospital and i'm like no there's there's nobody here like my my mother's not here my father's not here my sister's not here and my brother is in the city an hour away it was not until a few years after where we lived together in the same household and then i guess just for practicality reasons we were split up again so just that uh, there's there's big gaps in the time that we have with each other one thing that I learned really quickly is that, um, you know, I'm the mom now, I'm the dad now, I'm the sister now. When we were growing up, my brother and I learned that the family values of my mother's side and my father's side are so drastically different. I tried to pick up the best values from both sides of the family. So, I, you know, for instance, in my mother's side, I'm like, it's good to you know, be organized with money and do this and that and this and that. And then from my father's side, it's, you know, it's good to provide love and affection and have fun, you know, as a family. So I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to apply parenting techniques, both for my brother and myself. And I was also just a child. I was a teenager. So I, you know, I don't always get it right myself because when I realized that, you know, a child deserves affection and and um, care and a warm and loving environment, how can I provide that for my brother when I am, 
yearning for the same thing. So that was the struggle that I had for a very long time. And then when, uh, when my brother and I moved out and I started living with my partner, um, my partner and I had a conversation and we're like, are we parenting a teenager now? And we're like, yep. My partner and I had uh, to come up with ways to properly mentor my brother on important topics such as budgeting, reproductive health, um, relationships, all the kind of good stuff. So yeah, um, it's definitely that parenting a teenager, even if I'm just in my 20s kind of perspective, because I want to, you know, I wanted to do everything I can to set my brother up for success so that he would be a healthy, functional adult. Now he is in his mid-20s and overall he's, uh, he's doing okay. Um, he's, you know, emotionally and financially stable and overall healthy. I don't need to provide for him anymore. So now our relationship has transformed into a sibling relationship now where we can talk about whatever we want. And he doesn't need to um, ask me for permission for things. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a, uh, a shift in our dynamic. Um, yeah, like it's from, from like siblings as, 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 as kids into this parenting, parent-child relationship. And then back to that uh, sibling uh, relationship is pretty much the theme for the past uh, couple, couple of decades. Our relationship, I think, has changed since childhood, mostly because we've just, we've grown, you know? I mean, when we were younger, I know she'd always want to wear the same things I wear, do the same things as I do, play with the same toys as I play with, and it really drove me crazy back then. I, I, I don't know, I just, I wanted to be different, be unique from her. But now, I find it very comforting. Growing up, we were best friends, inseparable. But now that we're adults, our relationship has changed. Um, we're not as close as we used to be, although that is changing again um, as she progresses through her recovery. How has our relationship changed since childhood? Uh, there have been a lot fewer physical fights and there's been a lot more open communication. In childhood, we would spend more time together because we lived under the same roof. And so we would be more forced to interact with each other. Whereas now we've lived in different cities for almost a decade and we don't talk other than when we see each other if we're both at home at our parents' house. That one's a bit tricky because growing up, I was technically the youngest because Jessica is a couple years older than me, but because she's in a wheelchair and she doesn't talk and doesn't walk, uh, in a lot of ways I took on the oldest sibling role and like helped take care of her and helped learn these things. And then when Lola was born, I was 18 years old. Um, so there's a big age gap between us. So it's always, even though I'm now the middle child, technically, um, I'm also the oldest. With our age being so close, there also isn't that dynamic of one of us taking care of the other. It's like we go yeah. through things together. It's not like, you know, I'm the younger sibling, you're the older sibling. It's like we're so close that it's negligible and we're just like, we're, we're like peers, right? Well, I mean, I'm still a kid, but uh, in childhood, um, when I was like three or four, I uh, used to play alone. Now, when I have eyes, I mostly play with him. 
Giselle, when did you first feel that shift innately in you when you realized that your brother is now someone that you are responsible for, a child that you now have to, in a sense, be a parent to? Do you remember when you first felt that? I think the first time that it completely like hit me was the first time I visited my brother in the city after we got discharged from the hospital and when I made the trip on my own. So um, again, after we got discharged from the hospital, my brother lived in Baguio because he, ha- he had a broken leg. So he had a cast and he needed uh, more intensive uh, care from uh, my, my tita and Tito who was there, my aunt and uncle and uh, the nanny over there. That's also pretty handy. And that they're in the city. So the hospital and the doctor's clinics is like a, it's like a 15 minute ride. And the first few times, uh, my relatives would come with me uh, from the village to the city to visit my brother. However, shortly after, because that's just part of my grandmother's parenting style, like pushing you to be like independent and whatnot. So yeah, I think about six to eight months afterwards, like not that very long, she made me go to this, to tra- she made me travel to the city on my own. So I went there and I visited my brother and whatnot. And then... And then I have to go back home to, to the village. And that's where, and I felt like really like devastated and, and sad that I'm leaving my kid. Like, I think that's where I realized like I am leaving my kid in, in, in someone else's house. And how, like, and I don't know when I'm going to see him again or what's going to happen to him tonight or tomorrow with his meal times and his uh, homework schedule and all the kind of stuff. So that's where, it first like hit me and then two years after um, when we first started living together um, and this was in the village he was in grade one and I was in grade five so yeah I had to teach my brother how to read and I have to wash and clean his uniforms and I had to because hot water is not like available on demand so I had to boil water using the kettle so that he would have water for him to take a bath in uh, stuff like that so yeah grade five is when like, it like it hit me like in an overwhelming way like bam 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 and then um, then you know fa- let's fast forward a few years when we got because we were split up again and then we got reunited again in uh, in this and this is in the city during my last few years of high school so now I, you know, for oh, we didn't live together, so my routine is different. And then when we started living together, my grandma's like, "Yeah, you have to help him with homework, and you have to look after the store." So it's like a, you know, it reminded me of the same routine I had like four or five years ago, but it's more complicated now. It, he he needs help with essays, and he needs help with it's not just a multiplication table anymore. And I had to help with. Uh, traveling so now we're in the city so we had to commute from our house to to the school and I now I need to pack lunches for us because um, school lunches are expensive so that was a whole different um, thing altogether one uh, piece of advice that my grandma told me many many times so I have internalized it but it's also not healthy Uh, my grandma told me like a thousand times that we are not the children of my aunts and uncles so we are not the priority you know our aunts and uncles will always prioritize their own kids always always so we have to 
be able to you know deal with our own issues and needs on our own so that was the mindset that i've always carried which is unfortunate but it but even more so that really pushed me to you know make sure that as much as possible i have to take care of this and only when it's something that i when i really need an adult then sure i will ask for for someone you mentioned that there has been a shift in your relationship with your brother now that you you know that he's in his mid 20s and that you're a little bit older too so how do you navigate you know juggling that role as a sister and a parent to your brother because i imagine even now you know now that you've kind of moved more into that sibling relationship there might be moments where you do need to kind of step back into that parent role What's interesting is that it's not like a official like proclamation or realization or whatever. It was gradual. And I think that ended up being very good for both him and me. Um, in I'm just going to use this as a comparison. Like in the Philippines, usually um, teenagers and young adults, they rely on their parents for financial support, etc. for a very long time, which is why that, that parenting dynamic kind of continues to stay. You know, if a 20-year-old is still relying on mom and dad for tuition, that parent feels entitled to state opinions about who they hang out with and that kind of stuff. But because of the culture here in Canada where teenagers have an opportunity to earn their own money and and that kind of stuff, all those little milestones of independence uh, kind of uh, added up already, so... I think what helped me in terms of navigating the change in our dynamic is the principles I learned from the father side of my family. So I try to make sure that my brother feels that he can talk to me about anything at any time. So when he was in grade 11, grade 12, um, you know, I was still uh, parenting in a sense that I was providing for all the expenses. But I also was helping in in ways that siblings do, like helping with homework. And when he started earning his own money and um, providing for himself, and we, we eventually had the conversation like, oh, so you're, you're doing okay with your financials? Like, how about we start charging you rent? Not a lot, but, uh, you know, it's uh, we can you know, switch the uh, processes a little bit because you're doing okay. So now you're paying rent. I, I, I'm still covering groceries, but you pay us rent to help us pay for internet and stuff. And he's like, okay, ate. And then when we moved to our house, um, things have changed a little bit again where he started um, paying rent and his share of groceries. So it's like those little milestones. I think that's something that's sometimes hard to navigate when you when you are wearing, you know, a different role with, with your siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's personally something that's been an interesting journey for me to navigate because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I lost my father in 2016 and mm-hmm. my siblings were quite young. And, you know, while we still kind of have this relationship where sometimes, you know, I'm still the big sister, but there are moments where I do feel like I need to be, you know, more than just that, you know, I need to kind of take on a little bit more of that caregiver role. So that's something that I struggle with a little bit. And that's why I really want to talk to you about how you have these conversations that are more sensitive in nature. And how do you approach them, especially topics about intimacy, consent, um, different kind of things like that, that are, you know, typically, they have those layers, right? They are a little bit more awkward, a little bit more emotional. 
um, to kind of talk about. One uh, thing that I told myself at the time, and also I'll pass on as an advice, is the shorter age gap that you have with the younger person you're taking care of, that's an asset. Because a teenager is more likely to listen to someone a couple of years older than someone from like whose experience with high school and university is from a generation before. Because intimacy and access to technology and, you know, the nature of work is so different from a few decades ago. So, so, um, so I, I use that as, uh, as an asset and, for, and used tools and methods that I thought would be more relatable to him. Educating my brother about uh, reproductive health was awkward, but I was very passionate about it because sex education was not a thing in the Philippines. And I know that if he is not educated about reproductive health, he might do something that will hurt him or his partners and you know, it will have consequences that he might regret. Another thing is that more than one technique, it, it's good to use different uh, techniques and it, it cannot just be a one-time thing. I was very open about my own journey in terms of relationships, in terms of birth control. We're just having casual conversations. So for, in, for instance, I'll ask him, you know, oh, when's the last time you've been to a doctor? It's like, oh yeah, I have to book an appointment. And he's like, oh, Ate, are you going to the doctor soon? And I would say, yes, I'm going to my gynecologist. And with my gynecologist, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And he would have this like awkward, gah, like cringe face. When he was like making his like gagging noises, I did not get upset. I didn't take that personally. I was just laughing along with him. Um, the benefit of that is it, it establishes a feeling of trust and that, you know, I'm not going to judge you even if you find this gross. And when you are ready to talk about it, I am open and available to answer any questions that you have. It's important to empower the teenager to come to their own conclusions and be there to talk about it even if it's even if it even if it's like you know talking about the same thing over and over and over don't get tired of giving the same advice because young adults are still learning absolutely that's amazing and i love that you you know really emphasize normalizing these conversations mm -hmm. that it's yep. not just this like dooming one one day sit down kind of talk where you know you have the most awkward half an hour hour of your life and then you just never talk about it again mm -hmm. um and I would really love to know I know that it seems like you know you've you've been able to provide a lot of guidance and advice to your brother what kind of things has he taught you hmm. seeing him help helps me uh remember the good things about our family um my, my parents and sisters specifically. My brother has a great sense of humor, which I did not teach him that, that's for sure. Because personally, I am a very serious, task-oriented, workaholic person. So finding the joy in life is something I've, I've learned um, from him. And um, yeah, in, in many ways, my brother's personality is a bit different from mine. So it's... It's, it's, it's healthy to be skeptical about things. Like that's another thing that my, my brother taught me. He, he reminds me in his own way because I'm sometimes an over, overly optimistic person, I suppose. He, he reminds me to uh, always incorporate a healthy uh, skepticism about um, what we see and uh, what's happening. How would life be different for me without James? It would definitely be more peaceful. 
yet boring. James keeps me balanced, and I think I'd have been a very different person if it wasn't for him. Oh wow, I haven't thought of a life without you guys. I don't know how to answer that. You guys make up most of my life, so it would be very, very empty. I feel like、um, a lot of the of who I am right now is built off of my siblings and、uh, what they've taught me. And、uh, yeah, I wouldn't know what like I don't know where I'd be without them. I would definitely say that my life would be a lot more boring and a lot lonelier. I wouldn't have the same understanding or patience as I do. Uh, for those that are diff- developmentally different than me, I think that, especially Aviva, has given me a lot of perspective on life,、um, and in a way, like made me a much more capable, understanding, and empathetic person. I do think my life would be very different without my sisters. Being the youngest, I did and still do look up to my sisters and try to learn from them. And I also think that the motivation that I get from my sisters is very important to. What I have been able to achieve and what I continue to achieve. My disability always has made me feel self-conscious, especially when I was growing up. You know,、um, being a teenage girl is hard enough, and when you throw in a minor but major physical disability with that, it really just kind of throws your self-confidence for a loop. And Sabrina was always like a safety blanket for me. Maybe life would be different in ways that I. Could never and will never understand, and you know what? That's okay with me. Not knowing what that would be like. Um, I guess just as we wrap up, I would love to know what makes your relationship with him special. Do you have any special traditions or anything that that's just you know for the two of you? Ah, <sighs> the the word tradition is really fascinating because, given the for lack of a better word, unpredictable. Patterns in our upbringing, we haven't really had a lot of chance to build a lot of like special traditions with each other. Because you know, it's if you haven't seen each other in like three years, and then you've lived together for two years, and then you've been apart for another four years. Like building traditions is really tricky. But one thing that we have been doing is that on the、um, death anniversary of our parents and sister, which in Canada is also Halloween, it's October thirty first. We have, we we try to spend time with each other, just to hang out, and and、uh, catch up with what's happening before we、uh, do the Canadian things, which is you know Halloween parties and trick or treating and whatnot. Because the graves of our parents and sister are not in Canada,、um, what my brother and I have been doing for the past however many years is we would go to a church and. You know, just be in a nice, like, solemn place to、um, to think of them, to remember them, and then we would usually go out to eat at a restaurant.、Um, he would always get steak, and、um, he's very picky with restaurants. He needs to be in a restaurant that serves mashed potatoes. Not every restaurant does, so I have to make sure that the restaurant we pick has mashed potatoes as a side dish. Otherwise, it it you know. It's not gonna work. <laughs> and then afterwards, we just、uh, you know ha- hang out and spend、um, time with each other for the rest of the day. But yeah, it's a、uh, it's it's something that we try to、uh, maintain. Most of the time, we get to do it right on October thirty first, which is wonderful. That's amazing, and I really you know I appreciate and understand the fact that with so much unpredictability. 
um, just even being able to dedicate, you know, some time on, on a specific date where it's just the two of you um, and really, you know, doing that over the years, um, you know, sometimes it's nice to have something to hold on to a little bit, especially when there is so much up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your story and talking about family and sibling relationships. Cause I know that that's, as we go into our adult lives, sometimes, you know, the focus on relationships kind of take form in like romantic relationships and friendships and such, but like that sibling bond is something that's so integral in my life personally. So I love hearing about kind of the, the coming of age of like the sibling story from, from others. And Giselle, I know we talked very earlier on that you have your own blog. And if anyone were curious after this episode, where can they find you and how can they learn more? The first thing I'm going to plug is the Alberta Filipino Journal. I write a column called General Point of View, sharing my perspectives on different social topics. And I also write uh, resource articles. I have my personal blog called Filipina YEG, where I talk about different topics that interest me from the perspective of a Filipina lady living in Edmonton. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time and just your general support for What's the Chismes. What's the Chismes is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory. Today's episode was produced by me, Mishma Mukith. I'd like to thank our guests, Giselle General, Jenna Wise, Inaya Zaman, Carlo Villarreal, Carissa and Ariane Baroma, Ryan Lacanalau, Sarah Thurling, Raisa and Azim Mukith, Joel Joseph, Jenna Lee Richard Boguski, Tracy Stafford, and Natalie Steffel. You can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts, and on our website, what's the cheesemes.transistor.fm. You can also connect with us on Facebook at What's the Chismes CJSR and Instagram at What's the Chismes. That's T S I S M I S. Salamat.